Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. I used to be a fan of me, Kevin. I used to watch his videos. I used to enjoy his content. I didn't take his stock advice, but I at least enjoyed the content. I thought he was entertaining. It was it was cool to watch. And what happened was in January of 2022, he sold all of his stocks. And that changed his life forever. I'm like, this guy's a clown. He's an idiot. I hate him. He's a grifter. And I just started going after him ever since. And then after I started going after me, Kevin, I started to realize that a lot of these other guys in the YouTube finance space are liars and grifters and frauds as well. He said he would refund everybody and he, he still hasn't. Like he he hasn't done it. He's in the middle of the lawsuit right now. He's trying to get it dismissed. Graham mm -hmm. Stefan, I, I think he's entertaining. He's energetic. He's non-confrontational. He's easy to watch, right? He's likable. He's very likable. Um, so I don't see this in him at all. But let me just say, like you've heard the term a fisherman knows a fisherman. Mm -hmm. Meet Kevin, con man. Hey, this is Matt Cox. I'm here with Jay from Echoes from Above, and uh, we're going to do an interview, so check it out. I appreciate it. Yeah, That's thanks, man. Really appreciate you having me here, and yeah, definitely interested in talking about some of the drama going on in the finance space. All right. Um you know, uh, Binance. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm actually doing it just cause you mentioned earlier, the finance space uh, mm -hmm. before we were on, but yeah, I'm actually doing a, an interview with a guy about that. He was telling me months ago, Oh, they're, they're going down soon. They're going down soon. It's going to mm -hmm. be an issue. There's going to be some issues yeah. and I'm doing a video on that on Friday. Once again, not, not really true crime, <laughs> you know, kind of true crime, but not, you know, I'm just being pushed, but yeah. Uh, so he's coming, he knows all about it. So he'll, he should be pretty, pretty good. I'm, I'm interested because it all, it all just seems so scammy. It is to me. <laughs> so, so, yeah. uh, so, okay. So what's going on? So how did you kind of get into this? How'd you start? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did I get into the space where I started going after these grifters? Right. So the way yeah. it works is you've got several people in this space. The main player is CoffeeZilla. He's the goat. He's the king of the space. He gets all the views. He gets all the subscribers. And then you have smaller players in this space who kind of do the same work, except not as good quality, not as well researched. CoffeeZilla is just really amazing what he does. So you've got Spencer Cornelia, who obviously has half a million subscribers. You have myself, 10,000 subscribers. You have, uh, Scott Schaefer with about 100K, and you have another guy named Chris Norland and another guy named Strawman. So there's not really many of us in the space who do this, like five or six of us. But the way that I particularly got started was I used to be a fan of me, Kevin. I used to watch his videos. I used to enjoy his content. I didn't take his stock advice, but I at least enjoyed the content. I thought he was entertaining. It was, it was cool to watch. And what happened was in January of 2022, he sold all of his stocks. And that changed his life forever. That changed everything. He got destroyed in the comments. He went from being the most beloved person on YouTube to the most hated. 
And I completely flipped on him. I'm like, this guy's a clown. He's an idiot. I hate him. He's a grifter. And I just started going after him ever since. And then after I started going after me, Kevin, I started to realize that a lot of these other guys in the YouTube finance space are liars and grifters and frauds as well. And then I started going after them. And then that's how Echoes from Above basically started growing. Before that, I had just been talking about stocks. I had like 100 subs, wasn't getting any views. Once I started going after Kevin and everybody else, then the channel started to grow. So that was my intro into it. Um, well, why did he? I, I don't understand why he sold all of his stocks. What do you, and, and why that was mm -hmm. upsetting so, to people? Sure. So in finance, at least in traditional finance, crypto is different. But in the stock market world, everybody looks at stocks as a long-term investment. You don't sell. I mean, there's a different reasons why you could sell a stock fine, but you don't sell your entire portfolio, right? Okay. Kevin's reasoning is he basically tried to time the market. He thought that we were going into a really bad bear market, which he ended up being right about that. And that's basically why he sold his stocks. That's his reasoning. My reasoning of why he sold his stocks, because we all know that the stock market has bear markets, but you continue to hold. When the bear markets come, you just buy more and you just ride it out because the stock market is a long-term game. The reason I believe he sold his stocks is because this is the first time he had ever seen a bear market. He didn't start getting in the stocks until 2020 during the greatest bull market ever. Once 2022 came, I think he just panicked. Because remember, he's got a lot more money in stocks than the rest of us. We've got five figures. Some of us got six figures. This guy had $20 million in the market. So when you're just seeing bloodbath after bloodbath, I just think the guy panicked. And I'm not the only one who thinks that a lot of other people feel the same way that I do. Well, I watched a video from another guy who went through all of his picks for like the last two, for like two years straight. Mm -hmm. And I mean, every pick he, it, it was just consistently every pick he had had was bad. Yes. It was just consistently picking, holding himself out as kind of an expert. And, you know, so I don't really follow him. And I was watching this video and then the guy made another video about meet Kevin um, doing a reactionary video to one of his videos. And this guy had, like you said, he had a couple thousand subscribers. Like he mm -hmm. was a tiny, but the fact that I guess he was talking bad about him. And so he then, oh, this guy that like, but he started bashing the guy, but not, not really disputing any of the facts. Mm -hmm. Just the guys, oh, he's a whiner. He's this, he's that. And he, he was actually kind of making fun of, I think, I think it was a, a couple other guys he was on a video with. He was making fun of him. Anyway, regardless, regardless, I've, uh, like, I was introduced to him. I, I only, I've only watched a few videos because of a, a buddy of mine uh, named John Boziak who told me, oh, you got you to gotta watch this guy. But this, that was a couple of years ago, two, three years ago. Mm -hmm. Then he got arrested for the DUI. Um, which I exposed. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm the one who exposed to the world that he got the DUI. That's what blew up the channel. <laughs> and you then he threatened so to sue me and, uh, that was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, these guys react so badly to, um, bad press, yep. you know, you know what I mean? Like, like some people, when you hold yourself out as being this kind of lily white, perfect guy yep. and then bad things happen they don't like their first reaction is like to try and spin it or lie about it or you know just you know just deny it or oh, it's yeah where 
simply saying, yeah, I, 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 you know, I messed up. Like I, I fucked up and this is what happened and it was definitely my fault. And, you know, I think people, that's really the best way to go at it. Um, yep. What was the crypto guy that did crypto zoo? Logan Paul. Logan Paul. Yep. Like what a, what a horrible, like what a just whoever's, whoever's kind of advising him or whoever he's surrounded by, he should just whack all those guys. I would just get rid of every one of those guys. Just get rid of them, start over, mm -hmm. go with a professional person that could actually handle, um, you know, bad press for you or handle, you know, these types of things, which these guys obviously don't know what to say. Like, oh, deny it. Lie about that. Okay. Well, you're a child. That's not how you behave. It's not how you do it. You say, look, I messed up. I made a mistake. Here's what happened and lay it all out. Yeah. I actually worked for a mortgage company one time that their, um, you know, their, their, their credit line. So it was, it was a lender and they had, a, they, but they were connected to a larger, several larger banks and they lost a bank. And then one of the banks that they still had a credit line with, um, it, it, it basically got shut off. So mm -hmm. they were only able to do as many mortgages fund as many mortgages as they had money for. Yep. Which is a problem because usually they have a large credit line. They build up the credit line. They sell them in batches or they already have their underwriting based on a bank and they're just selling directly to that bank. Well, what happened was, you know, so suddenly I have loans that cannot, that are underwritten, ready to close, but we don't have money. Yep. Every, I watched everybody else dodging phone calls, uh, hanging up the phone, not answering, not returning calls, you know, telling the secretary, tell him I'm not here. Like, and I actually, I remember talking to my father who was, you know, much older and, and wiser than me. And he said, you, you really need to just be honest. This is what's going on. This is what's happening. This is what I know is happening. And I will let you know, as soon as, as soon as I know, it's freed up and we have money to close your, your loan. Yep. You know, don't give them advice. Don't promise them anything. Don't tell them anything you don't know. And let, and if they don't hear from you, tell them that they can call back and, you know, don't dodge them. Sure enough, within a few days of, of doing that, all of those customers, I, I was the only one who wasn't bombarded with calls anymore. Mm -hmm. They were waiting. Give me a week. We should know something in a week. So you just put them off and put them off and put them off. And I mean, I, I explained what was happening, but give me another week. If something happens before then, I will tell you. Just be very honest about it. And although people yelled at me and they were pissed mm -hmm. off and everything, they also realized that it wasn't my fault. I didn't certainly did not not want those loans to close. Eventually, all those loans closed. But honestly, I probably, I don't know how many customers I had at the time, eight or nine customers that I was holding off. And we're still generating new customers. Like the, yep. the, the company, they're still telling us, keep generating. We're going to fix this. Don't stop. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? So anyway, the point is, is that I think I was the only person that didn't lose any customers. Everybody else lost almost everybody. They were kind of, they didn't know what to do. Of course, mm -hmm. they go to it. They, they're going to go to their credit union. They're going to go to another lender. They don't know what's happening. And, yeah. and that's the problem. You got a lot of people out here who just can't take the heat. That that's the problem. Right. I mean, look, th things happen. 
You know, sometimes bad things happen. You address them the best you can. And if they're your fault, then you just own up to it. People will respect you more and they'll trust you more. Why? Because you owned up to, hey, this is what I did. I fucked up. I made a mistake. This is what I was thinking. Clearly didn't go that way. Here's what I'm going to do to rectify the problem. And that's what Logan Paul should have done. Instead, he just, suddenly it was everybody else's fault. And, you know, my team this, and they hired, this guy hired this guy. So it was everybody but him. It, it, which was horrible. Like, didn't you hire your team? Like, didn't well, you I, hire all the guys? Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I just, yeah, I, I think that just calls into question his character. I think that just kind of speaks to him. I mean, if you even look at right now, he said he would refund everybody and he he still hasn't. Like, he, he hasn't done it. He's in the middle of the lawsuit right now. He's trying to get it dismissed. He might win that because he probably has a better lawyer than everybody else. I mean, I don't know, but. That's just the type of person he is. Some people out here are just scum, and, and he's one of them, in my opinion. I, I really don't like him. I made videos on him. I made videos on him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I saw. Um, I mean, you saw the you you saw the text messages. Yep. It was a pump and dump scheme. You're running a pump. And, you're you're actively attempting to get people to purchase a product for more than you know that it's worth, so mm-hmm. that you can raise the value of your product, and then you can yank. Then you can get the carpet out. You know, it's a rug, rug pull. You take off with the money and haul ass and they lose their investment. I mean, it, it seems like such a slam dunk to me. Yeah, if you're a celebrity you, with a huge following, you know. yeah. But but that's the thing. That's why they were able to do it because none of them were getting indicted. Nothing really happened. And, and during yeah. the bull market, you had like 50 celebrities that were doing it. And they all just got away scot-free. The only one that's... Got some type of accountability is what? Kim Kardashian, Floyd Mayweather, Paul Pierce, and Logan Paul. That's really it. Four. So when you see the government not doing anything, which I think the government shares a lot of the blame too, because the SEC and and Gary Gensler, they're afraid to go after people unless they think they can win. That's the problem with the government. If they don't think they can win, they won't go after you. That's what sucks about it. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, I don't know how much you know about trials, but there's just no way for Logan Paul to sit on the stand or let's say he doesn't sit on the stand. Let's say his lawyer says, oh, you can't go on the stand to present that those documents, those those text messages and the testimony that coffee. I mean, Coffeezilla built a case that there's just no way the government could if they could just yeah, present his case. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. It's you know, it's I don't know. Yeah, um, I used to work in politics, so, you know, I didn't work in trials or anything like that, but I kind of know how they think a little bit. And just from my work in politics, I just know that for the most part, the reason why a lot of these people get off is because the government wants to look good. So if they're losing a bunch of cases, they're not looking good. So they want to look like, you know, like, like for example, right? You ever heard the saying, I know you know this. They say like the feds win like 90% of their cases or something like that. Isn't that it? Something like that. 98.7. It's almost yeah, 99%. Right. And I think the main reason for that is because they only go after people that they know they're going to get. I really believe that. And I think that's what you're seeing with the SEC. I bet you the conviction rate for the SEC is the same. And it's because they only go after people that they know they'll get. They don't want to lose. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the it's customers that, you know, or the public that suffer because they're trying to keep a, a high average up. Yeah.
let's start at the beginning. Where were where where were you raised? Chicago. Born and raised in Chicago. Chicago. Yep. Are you still live in Chicago? Yeah, I'm out here. I'm in the suburbs now, but yeah, I'm still in the area. Not too far away from downtown. So yeah. Yep. Yep. It's rough. Um uh brothers, sisters, mom, dad. Yeah, I've got like I don't even know. A lot of siblings. <laughs> I, got, I got quite a few siblings and yeah, definitely a big family and you know, yeah. Big family and all that stuff. Did you go you went to high school, graduated high school? Yeah, middle school, high school. I try not to get too much into it, but uh okay. like exact, exactly um, where I went. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not I mean, I I understand you keeping it vague. Did you go um did you end up you go to college or you just go to work right away okay sure yeah so i after i graduated high school i went to a junior college then after that, i went to a university and i got my degree in political science and i started working in politics so from like 2016 because i was still working in politics when i was in college so that's why i count that i graduated in 2018 but from 2016 to like 2021 i was literally just eat drink and sleep politics working on political campaigns every day all day like that was my life. So you worked at, you worked for um you worked for somebody on their campaign or multiple campaigns. Like yeah, like I ran multiple campaigns. Like I actually ran their campaigns and helped them win and stuff like that. Yep. Okay. Uh You don't want to get into that how who no. Are no, these I can, small, yeah, yeah. Are these, are these Yeah, we can talk about time, that. Like is this like city councilmen? Is this hmm. running people running for senate? Is it Yeah, so I had the opportunity to work for a U.S. House rep, but by that time I had already left. So, so most of the campaigns that I ran was local stuff, so like state representative, state senator, you know, different things like that. I did work on the governor's campaign, but I didn't run his campaign. I was just like a staffer. But I worked for Governor J.B. Pritzker, who's the governor of Illinois, and yeah, just stuff like that. Um, so why was it just too? too spotty like it's not consistent work or why'd you move out would you get burned out you don't make any money you're you broke know? as crap you're you're working 12 hour 14 hour days and you're not making any money it's like i can't do this this is horrible so that's why i left it was really just for money um okay and yeah, so what did you yeah. do then you you immediately started making videos and you're making you started making great money and that was it no, no, I actually don't make that much money on YouTube. No, I know. <laughs> I love it when people uh, think you make a ton of money. And in, in, in I art. know. Like yeah, yeah, I know. They, they, yeah, they think, yeah. The only people who make money are like the people who get like hundreds of thousands of views and sponsorships, and only the people with the huge followings make money. It, it kind of sucks. But yeah, no, the way that I make money now is because I work in insurance. So instead of working public, I went to the private, and you make way more money doing that. So. Yeah, it's really because of my job and like other ventures that I make money now. Uh, decent money. I'm not saying I'm like rich over here, but right. definitely doing better than I was when I worked in politics, when I lived in my mom's house and I made like $500 a week or whatever the heck we got. It was, that was miserable. So why did you, I mean, were you already doing, uh, did you already have a channel? Were you like, how did, how did this happen? I mean, I know you said, you know, you didn't, you don't like. Mm-hmm seeing these guys, you know, um, you know, bullshit people, but was there anything, I mean, it, well, no, you, you, you said the Kevin thing, right. Mm -hmm. That he had sold yep. everything, but yep, is that exactly, I mean, that, that made you say, Hey, I'm going to start a channel. 
So I started my channel September of 2021. And when I started it, that was during the bull market. That's when stocks were hot. I was just talking about stocks. I was talking about different stocks that I was interested in. Didn't get any views. And then I flipped my channel from stocks to just going after clowns and grifters and scammers on YouTube when me, Kevin, sold a stock. So that's how I went. And then there was a lot that took place ever since I did that. Even though I have a small following, I mean, I've been involved in a lot of the drama in YouTube finance just because that's kind of what I do. I'm, I'm kind of known as like the drama YouTube finance channel. So some of like the biggest creators, you know, whatever drama they've been involved in, I've been a part of, whether it's the thing that happened with Clear Value Tax, who has like 2 million subscribers. Uh, me, Kevin, in this DUI, which I exposed. Me and Scott Schaefer went back and forth and had a beef. I mean, Spencer Cornelia, who you had on your channel, I was hammering the heck out of that guy before I flipped and started to be more nicer and started to realize that, okay, I'm going way too hard on this guy. So, yeah, just a lot, man. It's been, it's been well, a journey. Your channel. So, I want to pull it up. I don't have, like, if you were here and we would have somebody sitting over there. And mm -hmm. they would pull it up, but it's just me. So it's all good. Um, all right, I yeah, like 20,000, 18,000, 25,000 views. I mean, you've got, you know, these are, these aren't, aren't bad views at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You would think that, you know, well, I mean, I, I know that whenever we go, we've done like reaction videos um, or talked about somebody, you know, like jumped on the bandwagon of some little crisis that's going on and, which is always kills me because it's like, like I'm, I don't really know what's happening. Like I've watched, I'll watch like four videos and they're like, we got to do a video on this. And then so Colby's like, you got to do a video on this. Or um, uh, Tyler will say, you've got to do a video. What are you doing? You got to do a video. Okay. So then I'll do a video on it and I don't really know exactly what's happening. You know, I'll watch some videos. I'll give my take. And those videos do great. They'll get like a hundred thousand views or 80,000 views or a, you know, and which is amazing. And then next thing you know, you know, your, your subs spike. Yep. So using forgeries and bogus identities, Matthew B. Cox, one of the most ingenious con men in history, built America's biggest banks out of millions. Despite numerous encounters with bank security, state and federal authorities, Cox narrowly and quite luckily avoided capture for years. Eventually, he topped the U.S. Secret Service's most wanted list and led the U.S. Marshals, FBI, and Secret Service on a three-year chase while jet-setting around the world with his attractive female accomplices. Cox has been declared one of the most prolific mortgage fraud con artists of all time by CNBC's American Greed. Bloomberg Businessweek called him the mortgage industry's worst nightmare while Dateline NBC described Cox as a gifted forger and silver-tongued liar. Playboy magazine proclaimed his scam was real estate fraud, and he was the best. Shark in the Housing Pool is Cox's exhilarating first-person account of his stranger-than-fiction story. Available now on Amazon and Audible. How old are you? 28. Oh, my God. So... Still, okay. Look, still, what I'm thinking, what I'm, I'm thinking is, so you, you started the channel. Why did you start the channel, though? I mean, I understand you started it, but it was just something to do on the side, or were, do you have aspirations? Like, are you thinking, hey, I want to be Coffeezilla? Like, that's the goal, or are you thinking it's just something to do? You put out what a video? How, how many videos a week do you put out? 
I put out a video every day. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you work 40, 50 hours a week. Yep. And you put out a video. That's it. Yep. So I'm thinking no girlfriend. No, I have a girlfriend. I, I put out you, two videos because I put out I put out a video every day on the second channel. Too. When do you sleep? <laughs> well, the good thing is my videos aren't like super well edited and I'm able to record them very fast. I literally just record on my laptop, show whatever I'm talking about and just go. There's no script. There's no fancy editing. It's just me talking and I can get a video done in 10, 15 minutes real quick for one take. Yeah, but what? What are you coming up with every day, though? I mean, every day there's what? Oh, there's always drama. Whatever's going on, you know. There's this big lawsuit going on where me, Kevin, just settled. You know, me, Kevin's being got me, Kevin, and all these other influencers got sued by uh, these SEC. lawyers and this guy named Edward Garrison, and he just settled. So I made a video on it. I literally just pulled up the case, read it. Hey, me, Kevin's getting sued. This is why. This is why I don't like him. Bam, video's done. Didn't there, there didn't go. he also get sued by the didn't the SEC come in and fine a bunch of them? No, not not them. No, if that happened, oh, I would have a field day on my channel. Not yet. The regulators haven't come in on them yet. No. Mm, I feel like. Nope. Oh, that was the Kim Kardashian. Yeah, the SEC came against Kim Kardashian. I think Floyd Mayweather and some celebrities. Yeah, but none of the finance influencers. Not yet. I, I think it's coming, but not yet. Mm. okay uh so what else is happening right now well you had spencer on your channel and i think that'd be a good subject to talk about because uh if you read the comments uh there was a lot of hate and i just wanted to talk about it because i don't know if you know what happened with spencer but like spencer like ruined his own credibility in his channel and you know him and i are cool now and i have no issue with him but i, I still don't think it's worth talking about because I, I think it's important for everybody to learn from that what what happened? what happened? He yeah, certainly so Spencer, didn't bring it up. Okay, well I will because <laughs> uh, so Spencer Cornelia is literally like a mini coffeezilla, right? He goes after scammers, lifters, blah blah blah. He deleted the video now, but when the FTX stuff blew up and everybody hated Graham Stephan and Andre Jake and me Kevin because they had endless videos sponsored by FTX and they got paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for it. Spencer, who's supposed to be a scam buster, grifter slayer, you know, mini coffeezilla, defended them because they're his friends and he plays cards with them and they're all in the same agency. They're all in this agency that helps them get sponsor sponsorships and brands called Creators Agency. Spencer is in the same agency as them. And so instead of taking coffeezilla's position, he decided to defend them, which Coffeezilla and him actually went back and forth a little bit. I mean, I know they're still friends, but they had a little back and forth. Like, Coffee's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I think Coffee even commented under his video, like, I don't agree with you at all. I don't know what you're talking about. And everybody just hated Spencer from then. Like, he got a lot of hate for that because people were like, dude, you're supposed to be the guy calling these people out. Why are you defending them? So that was just a huge thing that I think to this day ruined his credibility i think i saw in the interview with you he talked about how his views are going down I, that's the reason why his views are going down is because of that that is it right there he really hurt his own credibility with that i did a video about that uh, about um when ftx went you know when, when they yanked all they had that separate channel where um meet kevin and uh um yeah. graham stefan they yanked all their videos off millennial money i made a video on yeah. that too i was on it <laughs> 
Yeah, yep. I, I did a video on that, just kind of explaining, like, you know, one, of course, it it, it looks bad, mm-hmm. but two, you know, then Graham Stephan did that video, did his video, kind of trying to, you know, hey, I didn't know, I didn't realize, I, you know, it's funny because, and, and I'm sure everybody gets this, right? You know, that Colby and I get contacted all the time by these little like scam. It's not. They seem scammy to me. You know, it's always like mm-hmm. some guy who wants, they'll sponsor your video. They'll give you a thousand dollars and all yep. you have to do is this or that. You know, the problem is, is it, it'll be like, you know, some, you know, some hair cream you rub on your head and it makes you grow hair. And I'm like, yeah, it's not true. Like, I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna yep. say that. Like, you know, or it, it'll, or, or I've even had, we even had several meetings with a, a startup company that was coming up with a cryptocurrency. Oh, and, God. and, Oh yeah. Yeah. Listen, like they were, you know, and these guys were all into it. Like they were, mm-hmm. you know, the, the guy was talking about sponsoring, you know, for six months and pushing it and getting a link and you get, you know, this much for everybody signs up and we can do a videos and, you know, and we had a couple of meetings, but came down to it. It was like, look, I don't know enough about it. Colby doesn't know enough about it. And the only thing I do know is that most of these are pump and dump schemes and they're yep. scammy. And I said, look, you know, in the end, like, I, I can't, I can't be a part of something. One, just because of my past, you know, I can't be a part of this. I yeah. certainly can't ever be in front of the judge saying, your honor, <laughs> I know how it looks. But, you know, on top of that, at some point that, just like you said, some point the SEC will come down on everybody. And what's yeah. my defense? Uh, there's no defense. I have no defense at all. Like, you know, especially getting into something that you really have absolutely no clue as to how it even works. And and I know guys that have been, so I know a guy named Donovan Davis. I wrote, actually wrote a story on him. I don't know if you know this. I write true crime stories. I do know this. Yep. I'm familiar with you. Yep. Oh, okay. So (laughs) listen, I'd be shocked. I've talked to people over 20 or 30 minutes and they've just, and I'll mention something about prison. They're like, you were in prison. Like oh, oh God. yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> they they don't do any research. Well, let me just well let me just say this. I mean, I'm I actually really like your content. Like I've been watching you since like 2019. You came and you did that interview on, on Concrete, which blew up, yeah. went went crazy, and your story was just amazing. I'm like, wow, I can't believe this guy did all of this. This is crazy. So you had that. Then you went on Vlad. I watched that. You went on Patrick Bet David. I watched that, and I was just like, yeah, this is this. It was just cool. It was a cool story. So. And I do want to talk about some of that in the middle of the interview, because not only is your story amazing, but like the whole Frank Amadeo thing, like we just have to talk about that. It's so funny. Um, it's so funny. So real quick, I'd like to say uh-huh. um, that Patrick bet David, you know, he's like six foot six. Yep. He's really big and tall. Yep. And I'm like five foot six. Okay. So when I walked in his studio, you take like five steps into his studio and his whole studio. I mean, this is when it was in Texas. Now it's in Florida. It's probably the same. It's on a platform, an 18 inch tall platform. Mm. So I was walking in with like his producer talking to his producer. And just then I, he stood up and I turned around. And so I am just like, (laughs) and he was, he was like two feet from me. And he was like, and he's looking down. He's like, Hey, so glad I'm (laughs) Like he's already a giant. So, and it might've been, it might be 12, it might've been 10 or 12 inches off the ground, maybe not 18. And then of course I immediately turned, there's this massive um, 
Hulk. You know, he's got the Hulk. He's got a couple of, he's huge. I mean, listen, the whole thing is just over the top. When you walk yeah. into his, when you walked into his building, he had a, um, is it Megatron or somebody? He had, he had like this massive Megatron thing that had to be, it had to be eight or 10 feet tall. Jeez. In, in the lobby. It's just everything about him is over the top. Big. Yeah, he got it. He so, got all that money. So he, He's able to build all that nice stuff, so that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I was gonna say going back to the uh, um, the, the so oh oh I know what it was Do Donovan Davis my uh yeah. guy I wrote a story about in prison. <laughs> Donovan Davis is a guy who's in prison who got 17 years, and I'm gonna give you the quick rundown on his story. <clears throat> he had a childhood friend who started a a Forex trading company, right? Like a, a, a hedge fund kind of thing. Okay. Came to him and said, I'm trading with a master trader. We started the company. This is what our returns in. Can you put some money in? Donovan and his family have money. Hardworking. They, they, they sell dirt. That's actually a thing um, in, in Florida. So, you know, because Florida's, you know, so close to the sea, you know, so low. Uh, mm -hmm. to the uh, close to or almost level sea, sea level you sometimes when you build you have to bring in dirt so they buy they lease land dig out the dirt and move it whatever so he's they've made tons of money doing this um so he donovan ends up putting in like i don't know what it was like a hundred thousand dollars a month later he's got like a hundred and seven thousand dollars so so that's, a, that's an amazing return you know um a month later it's like got like a hundred and fifteen thousand dollars so he puts in another hundred thousand a um, month later, he's got even more money. Then his buddy stop his childhood friend kind of, you know, stops by. Uh -huh. He says, can I stop? Can I pit? Can I come and talk to your family? He goes, yeah, sure. Goes to his family and they're like, hey, he kind of gives his little presentation. And he says, wow, man. He's like, he, and so he, of course, he gets to turn to Donovan and Donovan says, I'm telling you, man. Yeah, he is doing great. Like it's been, it's only been three months, but he's really doing great. And I've, I've, I've made like $30,000 in three months. Like that's a great return. And so, you know, I mean, let's face it. That's like an 80 to a hundred percent return on your money. It's insane. Yep. And it doesn't happen. So, you know, you might, it, maybe in every 10 years, you might have a good month or two. But you're not making 200% on, on, on your money for any given period of time. Uh, anyway, his family puts in a bunch of money. Oh, his no. uncle puts in 50. His dad puts in a couple hundred thousand. His brother puts in a hundred thousand. Listen, within the next month or two, they've raised a million dollars. Then they're using Donovan to like, oh, you can here, I'll give you a Somebody, you oh, if I if they're pitching investors and saying, oh, you know Donovan Davis, everybody knows the Davises. They tell them, oh yeah, he's an investor, and so is his mom. And they're, oh wow, people are investing. Then Donovan starts telling people about it. Well, Donovan ends up raising several million dollars for this company, right? Over the next few, six months or so, they come to him and they say, you know, you've helped us so much, and we are still growing. If you gave us $600,000, we'd let you buy one third of the company. Donovan thought, wow, lucky me. <laughs> and they said, all you have to do for your part, because obviously you don't know anything about trading Forex. All you have to do is keep raising money for the company. Donovan thought, 
I can do that. So that's what he did. He gave him 600,000 and he starts raising money over the next year or two. He raises $17 million Jeez. <laughs> from his friends and family and other investors, you know, just people that know friends of friends, that sort of thing. Well, it's a Ponzi scheme. Donovan doesn't know it. So when the whole Ponzi scheme falls apart and Donovan realizes it's a Ponzi scheme, he goes to the U.S. attorney. I just lost all my money, all my investors' money, all my family's money, two million of his family's money he lost. But the the U.S. attorney, they do their investigation. When they start, of course, they start talking to all the investors. All the investors are like, Donovan said this, Donovan said that, Donovan said this. Donovan's only telling these people what these guys told him to say. He doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Well, Donovan gets invi- indicted. And because Donovan feels like I didn't lie to anybody, I didn't do anything wrong. He goes to trial. Which Ooh. is a mistake. Right. Always a mistake. Because Ooh. even though you feel like you didn't do anything, like you didn't maliciously try and harm anyone. Your intent is really irrelevant in the federal system. And so he goes to trial. He loses. He gets 17 years. Jeez. They indicted him and charged him. They base it on the victims, the amount of money. So Mm. out of it, it ended up being like $20 million worth of loss. Out of $20 million worth of loss and over 100 to two, it might have been, it was over 100 victims. $2 $2 million was his own money. They yep. charged him and sentenced him based on $2 million of his own money. They didn't even get to say, well, that was yours, so we're not, no, we're throwing that in there too. So, I mean, it's, people think it's a fair system and they don't really understand. You cannot and you should not talk about things that you don't understand and you certainly shouldn't ask people to put their money into things that you don't truly understand. Now, if you yeah. understand the system and something goes wrong, that's fine. You're informed. You understood how things worked. You gave them your opinion. You were licensed to do this. But when you're running around saying this is a good deal, you should invest. And they do, you know, oh, it's, it, I'm making this much money. It's great. It's great investment. It's super solid. It's this, it's that. And you know, people are hanging on your every word. You know, you have a yeah, obviously you have a fiduciary responsibility, but you know, you, you just have because people trust you more, you have more of a responsibility than the average goofball saying, Oh, yeah, I heard that you should buy this stock because it's good. Well, that's you know, people will trust you. Yep. Especially keep me Kevin. You know, that that yep. guy, like he's he's holding himself out there as like an expert, even though he couldn't Absolutely. pick a stock to save his life. Not at all. <laughs> So anyway, that's, yeah, that's, so that's the way I look at it. Like I could never be in front of a, one, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, well this, yeah, absolutely. Crypto, I don't know how crypto works. I don't have a clue. You could sit here for the next two hours and explain it to me. And even if I had a a cursory understanding of it, I, I, deep down, I know that it's just too volatile for me to ask someone to put their money into it. Yeah. So. But people get greedy. People uh people realize how much money you can make when you make people think that you're a guru or you show things to them or how much companies will pay you and they the greed just takes them over because there's so much money to be made. 
in this grifter space. These grifters make so much money. It's insane. I mean, look at the guy that's suing Spencer. Like, I couldn't believe how much how much money that guy made until I looked it up. I'm like, wow, this guy is rich. That is nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And he's yeah. he's really just trying to sue him out of existence. Just to yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's suing another guy. It, it blows my mind because you know when you sue somebody, you have to spend just as much as the person has to spend to defend themselves. So he's suing Spencer and he's suing the John Anthony Lifestyle guy. So the Derek Moneybird guys spent like six hundred thousand dollars. It's like, dude, yeah, but if you're you making if you're making ten million a year or twenty million a year, mm -hmm. what's half a million dollars? Six hundred thousand. Yeah, that's true. But it it also just shows the type of awful human being he really is. Because like, why not just message Spencer first? You know, that's what most people do. They don't just sue people. They they send a cease and desist, or they'll message him and say, "Hey, I don't like your video. Can you take it down?" Because even yo, you're right. He $10 million, 600000 still, still a lot. Like, why do that when you could normally just threaten somebody and they'll take the video down anyway? It just it just shows that whatever Derek Moneyberg has against Spencer is personal, clearly. Like, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Never. Yeah. By the way, I think Spencer is absolutely getting swindled by his attorneys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope they don't come after me. But And I told Spencer this to his face because he came on my channel too. I'm like, dude, because when me, Kevin, threatened to sue me for the DUI thing, my attorney said, okay, look, this is what you got here. If Kevin sues you, you're going to spend anywhere from 50000 to 100000 at the most. I hope you're ready for that if that happens. Blah, blah, blah. This is what we're going to do. Blah, blah, blah. For Spencer to spend $300,000 and get to the point where it's the case is still not done and he has to raise another $50,000 and he still doesn't know what's going to happen, I really think his attorneys are swindling him. I, I, I feel bad for him. I, I, I've never seen anything like that. That's like corporate money. It's like, why are you spending so much? Like, I, I don't get it. It's it, it it is insane. I mean, but then you know, like I mean, if you watch that video, like I mean, I I fought Warner Brothers and IE Entertainment, you know, Devaroli uh, from Devaroli from prison for a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> but my, my attorneys are working for nothing, so they're they're just like it. It's just nice to get to get your name called at mail at a mail call. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, Oh, I got something. What is it? You know, we're reading over, we're sitting there reading over the documents in the chow hall. Look, what, is, what, is, what does that mean? What did it say? <laughs> so it, it's amazing, you know, on the inside, your the, your entertainment, you know, the threshold is so low. You're willing to research stuff for hours and hours and days and write things and everything just so that you can have some interaction with the outside world. Yep. Uh, yeah, that was a that was actually that was a good stuff. I actually wrote a book about that <laughs> called "Dude, Where's My Hand Grenade." How many books um, do you have? I didn't know you wrote a book. I've written eight books. I know you've written stories, but I didn't know if that was like documentaries or actual books. No, I've written, I, I want to say, you know, I always say uh, roughly because some of them, like I, I wrote um, Ephraim Devaroli, the guy who, uh, did you ever see the movie War Dogs? War Dogs. No, I haven't. Okay. So there was a guy, uh, Jonah, you know who Jonah Hill is? Jonah Hill. Yeah. The actor. Yep. yep. Jonah Hill played Ephraim Devaroli in the movie War Dogs. Okay. Well, the real Ephraim Devaroli I was locked up with and I wrote his memoir. Wow. So when he got out, he 
kind of a scheme. Like he it, basically they, he and his literary agent kind of like created a situation where Warner Brothers would get a hold of the manuscript. Like they knew that they had gotten a hold of it. Like they put it in a situation where they could at least allege Warner Brothers got a hold of the manuscript and use the manuscript to write the movie War Dogs, to write the screenplay based on the manuscript. Well, that wasn't true, but it allowed him to sue Warner Brothers because it it certainly appeared that they had gotten, and they may have actually gotten a hold of it, to be honest. They ended up settling with him. Well, at the same time, I ended up suing Warner Brothers and Deborah Rowley because I'd never been paid for writing it. And uh, they ended up uh, settling, well, Warner Brothers and I just parted ways like in, in the end there was just no way you're going to battle warner brothers i sued or i sued deveroli i ended up settling with deveroli um but you know and and that i i managed to get a lawyer i managed to get a lawyer who took the case on consignment right which is yeah i've heard of that insane for, yeah. to, for to get an intellectual property attorney to take a to take a case on consignment Mm-hmm. Like they just don't do that. It, right. it it takes too long to fight those cases. Right. It's not like it's not like a um a, it's not like a a property uh, property injury attorney. You know, it's not like a car accident. Those cases are are solved or sorry are settled within twelve to eighteen months. Yep. Yeah, they're very they're very cut and dry. So they they're willing to say, look, give me a third of whatever you you know whatever Collect, um, yeah yeah whatever we end up settling for, and I'll I'll put up all the money. Yep. But Property or but uh, intellectual property cases, they go on forever. They go on for five, six years. Hmm. Those attorneys are not going to fork out all that money, especially in Spencer's case. He's being sued. He's not countersuing. Yeah, you know and he's being he's he, being sued for like five different things too. <laughs> it's insane. I mean, in the end, it'll most likely just get thrown out. But for three hundred thousand dollars, my god. Yeah, right. I, I, I hope uh, he gets the outcome where he gets his money back. I was telling him that. I definitely hope he gets his money back because that's insane. It's yeah. clearly a frivolous lawsuit. And yeah, I mean, I think you and I could both talk about the criminal justice court system, whatever you want to call it, for for a while. I mean, it's it's so corrupt. It, it it's, it's, it's really broken. It really is. Because lawsuits well, I mean, are the same way. It's terrible. So what else is going on? Well, I mean, if you want to talk about Frank Amadeo, I've always wanted to talk about okay. that. I mean, like I said, I'm pretty okay. familiar with your story, so we could always, you know, we could do that. All right. What did you want? I don't. To I don't know what else. I don't know what else for me. You you would want to talk about. I mean, if you're in finance, YouTube, then there's a lot to talk about. That's all I do. I just talk about it, expose it, all kinds of stuff like that. So it just depends, whichever uh, angle you want to go. I mean, I'm I'm okay with talking about Amadeo. I mean, I'm I'm curious to like I wrote a book about him also. Mm-hmm. It's called It's Insanity. I, of course, I wrote a I wrote a, a synopsis about his story, mm-hmm. which was maybe twelve thousand words, and then I expanded that to a book, which is around forty thousand words, because uh, there was so much. It was such an interesting story, and there was so much extra stuff that I could have put in the story. Unfortunately, I only, you know, being in prison, writing these stories with these guys, I really only wanted to 
write things that I could prove or I had, you know, so conversations you heard or things that you heard, but there was just no way to prove it. Like I tried to stay away from that stuff. Mm -hmm. I tried to go off of base, base stuff on, um, uh, transcripts or base it off of police reports, FBI reports, you know, something affidavits, uh, you know, things that backed up what Amadeo was saying, but just normal conversations. Like I, I can't prove certain things, but when I was out, I was able to expand on a lot of the stuff that he had told me by contacting people that knew him on the outside. And I was able to do more research. So it was, e it was easy to expand that book. To be honest, I, if I probably, had more time i probably i'm sure i could have gotten written a ninety thousand word book you know but but it, it doesn't doesn't really need i would really have needed frank's help to do that and when i was writing the book he was still incarcerated so it was it's it. impossible to communicate with them on a regular basis yeah uh you know anyway uh yeah so so i expanded that book so there like i know a, a ton about him that isn't just from him yeah, it's from so, other stories of people you spoke to. Right, right. But once again, may not all be, you know, right. stuff that's backed up. Like uh, in the book, I talk about a whole kind of a kind of a coup that he mm -hmm. attempted. Uh, and and I go into it, but I mean, I really have only conversations that he had with another inmate talking about it, although it all jived with what was really going on certainly certainly was similar to the rest of the story what mm. what's so funny just just at this story is crazy man like everything you're saying is just so funny have you when I first heard the, he has a channel he has a youtube channel because you know he got back out he got out that's what i was going to ask you where is he at right now because that is so fast uh, he's in orlando okay wait so what's he, his youtube channel um i think it's called the oh my god I think it's called the Frank Amadeo story or Frank. Oh, might that's, Frank oh that is channel. Oh, I, I found that channel. I did find that. I saw something that said that. I didn't know that was his channel. So he actually did a whole video about him explaining why he's not guilty. You know, in my opinion, he is guilty, okay, but he feels like, because he feels like he didn't, because mentally he did not have the ability to understand that what he was doing was illegal. Mm -hmm. uh, he feels like he feels like that makes him not guilty. I mean, you, you're still committing, you still committed a crime, whether you could formulate the understanding that, you know, or the intent to commit a crime it, for most federal law, that's irrelevant. Um, and the you know he he also there were also things that as I wrote that story I can't I should probably shouldn't even say this but I really like Frank, um, but there were things that he told me, you know that he would he would say you know like I never even had control of the money I never this I never that well yeah but and maybe the U.S. attorney's wrong, <laughs> maybe he's lying, but like it, it was pretty clear that there was like there were. $60 million was siphoned off to accounts that he did have control of. So, you know, and, and now what that money was, I never really got a complete understanding of what it, what that fund was, but he always says, you know, I never had control of the money. I never directed where the money knew how, or was in a position to direct where the money was going. 
you know, however, the U.S. attorney says that there was $60 million that was directed to an account that was solely in his, in his, in a company's name that he controlled, that he wrote the checks for, that he was in charge of. Like, there were little things like that. So the problem is when he gets manic, he says things that, you know, I don't know how else to say that, that aren't true. You know, okay. he gets manic, he, he rambles things out and. You've been around them long enough you understand well you kind of just look over yeah you don't really pay attention to that or he probably didn't he didn't really mean that or he's he's manic right now he doesn't really know what he's saying uh so you know but the the stuff about you know thinking god has been talking yeah. to him like every you understand that like everybody says it everybody ever oh yeah yeah no he's always said that Right. Like, this wasn't something like he came up with after he got in trouble. He's been saying this for two decades since he was a teenager. Yep. You know, the, the wife, um, the sister, uh, his all of his business associates. And I would even have those conversations with them where I'd say, well, was it kind of like a tongue-in-cheek thing? Like he, jo- it was just a kind of a joke, and they go, "Well, he would joke about it." And I go, "So it wasn't like real." They go, "Oh no, 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 he believes it." No, no, I mean, we. But he was like, "But you know, you know him. You can joke about it." Like he knows it sounds crazy, but it's not that it's not. Tr- it's not that he doesn't believe it's true. And and that's, I don't know if you've ever been around someone like that. It, he he's an odd character because he, you know, that he believes it. It's true to him. For him, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but he'll joke about it. You know, you could say, you know, that's crazy. You know, that sounds crazy, right, Frank? I'll go, yeah, I know. I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> it does sound crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did, and, how did he have his own tax office in, in prison? How did he do that? Because you said in one of your no, law, videos. Law office. Law, law office. I'm sorry, tax office. Yeah, law office in prison. Because did you said he had like Bloods and Crips like guarding the door and people like typing stuff? How did he do? How did he get them to do that? Um. So first of all, he's because he's an inmate and he, people they the inmates respected him. For the staff, it's good because he keeps people settled, right? And if he's if your lawyer is working with you and you have something in K in the in the courts, you're very unlikely to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So he's working on tons of people's cases. And really what happened was he had so much junk that they started letting him store it in like the what they called like the library, the unit library. Mm-hmm. And before long, he's got boxes packed up. And then eventually the unit manager was just like, look, let's just remove the library. These guys can use the other libraries. There's a main library and let's just give you this room. And so he started using that room solely. The other thing is, <clears throat> you know, you, you hear about in federal prisons or well, in prisons in general, let's say federal prison um, about rehabilitation. You know, they're, they're very concerned about rehabilitating all of the inmates. You know, that's a lie. Like that, it sounds good. It says it on all the websites. They'll certainly, it, it, they pitch it well, but the truth is they don't really have any teachers and the teachers that the few staff members that also act as a teacher don't do anything. They don't teach the classes. They have tutors 
people like me and Zach that actually teach the classes for them. They sit in a room in the back and play on the internet. And periodically, twice a day, you go in there and say, hey, I need more paper. Or, hey, can you open up the locker so I can get more folders? And they go, I'm in the middle of World of Warcraft here, but yeah, sure, I can do that. And they get upset and they get up and they shoo you out of the way because you're upsetting them. And, uh, you know, you're, you're throwing off their day. So, you know, they open up some stuff. They ask you to fill out some paperwork, ask you how things are going. You go fine. And that's it. You get paid $80, maybe $110 a month. And, uh, that's, so, you know, we had a guy named Harmon who worked, Zach and I worked for, he did nothing. So there were tons of, so there's, there's, that's like GED, but then when you say, okay, well, what about other classes? So there's tons of classes that are offered, like there's real estate, there's finance, there's uh, credit courses, there's um, all kinds of different types of there's creative writing one and two, like they teach these different classes, but the inmates teach those classes. So you'll have one teacher who's over what's called the ACE courses, the adult continuing education courses, but they don't teach anything. They just keep the paperwork. And I would teach the real estate course or Zach would teach whatever. Um, so one of them was legal research, how to use the legal computers to look up cases and do case, case research. Well, Frank taught that class. Buried by the US government and ignored by the national media. This is the story they don't want you to know. When Frank Amadeo met with President George W. Bush at the White House to discuss NATO operations in Afghanistan, no one knew that he'd already embezzled nearly $200 million from the federal government, money he intended to use to bankroll his plan to take over the world. From Amadeo's global headquarters in the shadow of Florida's Disney World, with a nearly inexhaustible supply of the Internal Revenue Services Fund, Amadeo acquired multiple businesses, amassing a mega conglomerate. Driven by his delusions of world conquest, he negotiated the purchase of a squadron of American fighter jets and the controlling interest in a former Soviet ICBM factory. He began work to build the largest private militia on the planet, over one million Africans strong. Simultaneously, Amadeo hired an international black ops force to orchestrate a coup in the Congo while plotting to take over several small Eastern European countries. The most disturbing part of it all is, had the US government not thwarted his plans, he might have just pulled it off. It's insanity. The bizarre true story of a bipolar megalomaniac's insane plan for total world domination. Available now on Amazon and Audible. Frank started teaching that class. And of course, as he taught that class, he was able to cherry pick people that he thought could help him write motions, do research. And he slowly started building up a little, a little staff. And he ended up having just, you know, he had like four people, maybe six people that are typing up motions. Mm -hmm. He's writing the motions. He has guys that are doing research for him and guys that he's teaching how to write motions. So more complex motions he would handle. And stuff like um, child custody, divorces, uh, you know, things like that. Or, or maybe it's just, you know, some minor 
uh, you're trying to get your, I, I don't know, trying to get things removed off of, off of you. Like you'll have detainers and things like that. Like mm-hmm. let's say you got arrested and went to federal prison and you were in a medium because you still have charges in Georgia that are pending. Well, he would hire guys that those, and so they, the, the BOP would put a detainer on you and that raises your custody level. Well, Frank would go and get those taken off you. He'd say, look, you know, he's in prison for the next 10 years. You know, we want you. One of the things you do is you say, we want to fast track it. He wants to go to trial immediately, bring him back to the state. Well, of course, the state's like, even if he lost, he'll go to prison for two years. And they just drop it. They don't want to, I'm not going to pay to bring you back to go to a trial so you can get two years when you're going to end up doing eight or 10 years in the Fed. And so then he gets the custody level and then the guy can be transferred or he gets moved to a lower custody or he gets that taken off. And now maybe he's not a menace to society or whatever he was. You know, he was his his uh, criminal history was raised because of this charge. So then he can go and fight a 2255 to try and get your sentence reduced because now guess what? Georgia dropped those charges. Like there's all these legal maneuvers that they were doing and he's training these guys. So, and he was there for years. So yeah, he got a whole, he had a whole staff. It was insane. Did any, I'll go ahead. I was going to say, and and he actually had like, I don't know what day it was. I'm just going to make up a day, but it was like um, Spanish Tuesday. Okay. So he'd have a couple Spanish guys there to do translating for Spanish guys that had cases and they'd come and, he would sit outside in an area that we called Stonehenge. Uh, it was because there were these concrete benches. It was a big round area and they had concrete benches that lined the whole circle. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle, there were concrete benches and tables. So there's like four of those in the middle and these things. So it kind of looked like Stonehenge. Um, and so they called it. So he would sit there at one of the tables and have a, a couple of Spanish translators. And then guys would li- literally there would be a line of eight or nine guys with their legal work. Waiting. And then they would go and sit down and they would talk about the legal work. He'd say, go get me this, get me this, get me this. And he decide if he could fight the case or if it was worth it or if it wasn't worth it. Like sometimes he was like, look, there's nothing you could do. You know, uh, yeah, and, and and you know, then of course guys are constantly coming up to him, especially at night when everybody's nobody's at their job. There would be lines of guys waiting to talk to him. It, it was it was really really hilarious. Yes, that that's what I'm saying. It is hilarious. <laughs> that's a crazy story. So, did anybody ever, or or I'll say this: Did Frank Amadeo ever have a violent encounter? Did anybody ever try to harm him in any way? Ever? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Well I, well, I want to hear about it because I thought this guy was like untouchable at this point. Oh no, 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 no. This is this actually. I we I was sitting there. Oh my god! What's so funny is everybody involved in that little encounter. I know. Okay. So the one guy's name was um. Gosh, I don't even. Uh. Uh. We called him Pork Chop. Okay. So. <laughs> They called him Chop. It, you know, it was Pork Chop, but was, they called him Chop. Got it. And he, uh, this poor guy, like, you know, the people you meet in prison, you know, like th- this guy literally, his mother had been stabbed to death by his stepfather. I think his sister got stabbed to death. And I think one of his sisters survived and he survived. Um, and then I think the guy himself ended up killing himself or went to prison for whatever. 
I mean, this guy had been in and out of the system. Anyway, he had gone to Frank and asked Frank to do something for him. And Frank had had put it off or told him he needed to get something. I forget what the case was. But he'd gone to Frank a couple times. And look, pork chop wasn't the sharpest you know, knife in the drawer. So I don't know exactly what the issue was. Um, Porkchop felt Frank should do it. Frank was asking him to, to get to do something. It was, a, it was just a breakdown in communication. And the truth is, here's the problem. A lot of these guys were like, well, you need to do this. And you need, no, no, no. You're not paying me. I'm doing, you know, for, for, for Frank, from Frank's perspective, not that I ever saw him do this, bro. But I mean, if it was me, it's like, I'm doing you a favor. Yeah. So if I say go get these cop outs or get this paperwork or order this or get me the transcripts, that's what's your that's your part. Yeah. Nobody's paying me. I'm not a public defender. I'm doing this out of the kindness of my heart. Pork, a lot of guys don't see it that way. Chop didn't see it that way. So me, Donovan, and this um, well, I was gonna say Donovan. Donovan's a black guy too, but um, so Donovan's there, but this this black guy who was Jamaican, who was huge, huge. Yeah. We're sitting there, and I'm and I'm sitting there talking, and um, I'm talking to Donovan, and we I happen to catch Chop and Frank talking. They're together and they're talking. So here's what, what I was told happened. Frank ended up saying something along the lines of, and keep in mind, I think that Chop was, I'm going to say he was like a crip, right? He's like, a, you know how it is, like they're associated with the game. Like he doesn't do anything. I did, I slept all day. I don't know what he's doing. He's not doing anything. But it, at some point he was a crip, whatever. So okay. he ends up saying something where Frank ends up saying, like, that's what's wrong with all you you crips. You know, I try and explain things to you guys. And he, he ended up insulting him somehow. Mm. And Chop just lost it and slapped him right in the face. Wow. I mean, like, he stumbled back. Uh, I, I want to say he might. I don't think he fell on the ground, but he almost fell. And so Chop started coming towards him. Well, the big Jamaican. You know, because Donovan and I were like, oh, good. And we both kind of jumped up. But the big Jamaican realized that Frank stumbling, you you is caught it, realized what was happening right away. And I mean, he went for chop immediately, started running right at him. He's gonna he's gonna butcher him. I mean, he's just gonna kill him. The guy was six foot six, and he and not a, not a tall, skinny six foot six. This guy was right. massive. Yep. There's another guy named Lay. So Lay sees what's happening too. He starts coming. Lay, another another big black guy, massive. Tattoos on the face. Hilarious, by the way. I mean, he would, he, he, anyway, some of these guys cracked me up. <laughs> Big guy, I mean, dangerous guy. Um, but, you know, but really nice guy. Um, you know, he'd probably kill you for a couple hundred bucks, but very, very nice person, you know, um, other than that. So he, he, listen, they went straight after Chop. Chop jumps up and he's all like this and they're coming at him and everything. And then Frank immediately turns around and he goes, wait a second, wait a second. That's an isolated event. That's not what's going on here. I don't know what he was thinking. He immediately calls everybody off and they're they're ready to go and Chop ends up running off. 
So Donovan has to go talk to him later and explain, you know, ask him what the problem is. And so I heard that happen to Frank. I heard another time a guy had essentially lost, he lost emotion or something that he was sure that he, Frank had assured him that he was going to win. Now that's what he said. I can't imagine Frank assuring anybody of something like that. He wasn't one of these guys. Oh, it's a slam dunk. Cause there is no slam dunk, but the guy insisted that Frank had told him he was going to win, whatever he supposedly grabbed Frank in the bathroom and threw him against a, a wall. And a guys immediately moved in and grabbed the guy and yanked him off. him. That's what I heard. So I know of two, two things that happened, you know, but those things never went anywhere. There was never any real vibe. So we're talking about just somebody grabbing you by the shirt, pushing you up against the wall and yelling at you and people pull you off. And another guy actually physically did slap Frank, you know, um, I don't think it was a punch. I think it was more of a, a smack or something like that because Frank wasn't really bruised or if he had been bruised, he would have ended up going to the shoe. Something would have happened. But listen, the problem was, is these two guys, uh, I know Lay and um, the Jamaican guy. I can't believe I can't remember his name too. Super cool guy. Uh, he, they were going to kill him. Like they, they wanted to go just beat the hell out of him. And Frank was absolutely no, no, no. You know, Frank was, he'd gotten manic when he came back down. He realized he had insulted the Crips somehow. And it, you know, even though typically he could behave that way because he was typically fighting your case. Mm-hmm. But in Chop's case, he wasn't fight. That was the problem. You didn't file this. You didn't do that. And, you know, and Frank was like, you haven't given me the documents. How am I supposed to? You know, that's what's wrong with you. Whatever. Crips and, you know. Bow. So even though Frank had uh, some altercations, it sounds like he still had some protection in there because of what the work he was doing. Oh yeah, a lot of people no, are like, can't let this guy get killed. <laughs> like, no, no, he can't. Nothing can happen to Frank. Yeah, okay, got it. That's what I thought. No, because he's he's literally helping guys. Like from your stories, he's helping guys get out. He's helping guys do all kinds of crazy stuff, which is crazy. Yeah, That's pretty amazing. Yes, I mean, you know, without a doubt, he was. Uh, he's an, an amazing individual. I mean, I met a lot of interesting, super, you know, interesting guys, but. You know, every once in a while you meet somebody that you're just like, you know, in this environment for you to pull off and do the things that you're doing when with all of the restrictions, it's 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 difficult. It, it beats most people down and they just end up trying to get into a routine and that's it. But for you to do something like the things that he was doing, you know, it, it was, he was a, he's a, an amazing individual. Yeah, that doesn't sound too gushy. <laughs> What happened to you uh, the very first day you went to prison? Like, what happened? Like, can you, can you kind of walk me through, like, everything? Like, from the moment you got in? Well, I'd seeing... always been prison or, you know, a lot of people don't realize the difference between prison and jail. Yeah, no, like, not jail, prison. Like, I know jail you sit in as you wait for your trial and sentencing, right? And then yeah. once you get sentenced, now you go to prison. It's like, okay, he's there now. Yeah, I mean, I think we got picked up in the morning. I don't know when we got there. Probably got there around maybe 12 or 1 or something like that. Like it was, it wasn't too late. And, you know, you you get processed, you come off the bus and, you know, you 
you walk in with your hands cuffed and everything um, and your legs shackled and we waddled in and, you know, they take your stuff off and they change you out. They give you clothes and, uh, you know, you're basically still stuck in like your, or they don't give you clothes right then. You're still actually stuck in your, your, your transport gear, which is just your bus clothes, like tan slacks or tan, horrible tan, you know, like old man pants and a, and a beat up white t-shirt with holes. And so mm -hmm. it's just horrible. Like I always love it when you watch the, um, whenever you watch the uh, uh, TV shows and the orange jumpsuits are always real bright and clean. And yeah. I ain't seen, I never seen a brand new jumpsuit ever. <laughs> never seen. They were disgusting, weren't they? Disgusting. Oh, they're horrible. Old, They've been yeah. around for 10 years. 40 <laughs> people, have, maybe maybe more people, have, 100 people have worn them. Yeah. And they're just torn and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, uh, then you meet with the staff. Every The head of every department comes and kind of gives you a talk real quick, right? Like, you know, SIS comes and they tell you, you're a member of a gang, you're a member of this, you're a member of that. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. They leave. Stay out of trouble. I looked at your jacket. You know, you got into a fight at the last place. You're like, that wasn't my fault. You know, whatever that the case may be for that inmate. Um, you know, medical comes and looks at you briefly. They've already they get a they get a a file. They know you're okay. This kind of, they kind of just cursory kind of run through the motions. You meet with three or four people. Then they tell you what housing unit to go to, and and you know you get talked to like you're just a dog. Yeah. Every single person talks to you like your dog. Like I never had till I got locked up. Like I'd never actually been spoken to. Like I was just garbage and, and had to take it, you know, like really like it's different than your dad yelling at you. Yeah. Vastly different than, than that. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. They tell you, go to your unit. They give you a big bundle. You know, you get like a, a, rolled up blanket and and sheets you don't get a pillow you know you think you're going to get it if you say hey man i didn't get a pillow they go oh no you got a pillow on the bed oh okay you don't have no pillow on the bed there's no pillow on the bed you got to find a pillow so you you get there you go into the unit the units are huge they're like four stories big four stories tall they're massive each one holds between six to eight hundred people they're four units Four units in every building. So there's like four or no, there's three housing buildings, three housing units with four units in each building. About six to eight hundred guys in each building, about 150 to 180 guys in each unit in the building. So uh, you go in, you walk in there and there's a sally port and you get through the sally port. They open a door. Usually they're just they were open. So you go in. And you go up to the cop and he says, he looks at your card and he goes, you're in room 205 or 2702 or whatever it is. And you go to your room and you, you know, you walk in and I went into mine and there was a, a little Mexican guy in there. When I say little, he was basically my height. So the Mexican guy in there and he was like, uh, what do you say? He was a Texacano. So do you know what that is? No. So he was, he, he was lived in Texas. He was Mexican, but he actually, actually was born in Texas, but he's hundred percent Mexican. Um, and, uh, so yeah, he, he, you know, he said, Hey, here's your bunk. Here's this. He kind of just told me, um, if you need something to some soups or anything, I can give them to you. Just give them back to me. You're like, we had a little conversation 
And then I was looking for a pillow or something. I, I left the room walking around the unit and all of a sudden they start screaming. The, the CO starts screaming lockdown, lockdown. And everybody's running around. Actually, I think I was trying to find a, some, see if I could get some coffee from somebody, whatever it was, I was, or water, whatever it was. They're everybody's screaming a lockdown, lockdown. And the guy, uh, the Mexican guy comes running up to me and he says, Sally, we got to go. You got to go to the, you know, because people are, doors are slamming. I'm still, and he runs up to me, goes, Sally, you got to go, go to the room, go to the, go to the room. I was like, well, what's going on, bro? What's going on? And he said, uh, somebody got stabbed in the yard. And I went, someone got killed in the yard. He goes, nah, nah, they, nobody, he didn't, they didn't kill him. They just stabbed him up a little bit. And I remember thinking, you <laughs> stabbed him up a little bit. Man. That doesn't sound like it's like jumbo shrimp. You know, it just doesn't, it does like that just doesn't even make sense. So, and I was like, well, you know, he goes, hey, so we went in the room, they closed the room. We were in there for a few hours, two, three hours. And then it was dinner time. They popped the doors and they let us out for dinner and like nothing. The guy ended up two two guys got into a fight and, one guy owed somebody money or something. I never really found out what happened. And the other guy got him in the rec yard and got him in a corner and stabbed him a bunch of times. So they both ended up getting yanked off the yard, put throw them in the shoe, and they'll be shipped to different locations. And that's it. Guy didn't die or anything. But people were getting stabbed. And in, in, in that institution, they were getting stabbed or cut, um, you know, all the time. But really, the worst one of the worst fights I saw was actually in the, in the low. Okay. Um, but there, I did see, I did see some, a lot of fights in the, in the, well, there's more fights in the medium, but there were still lots of stuff happened in the low, but yeah, that, so, you know, went to bed that night and no pillow. Very upset. It took me a week or two to get a pillow. Yeah. That must've been horrible. And I'm sure the beds are not comfortable at all. They're no, like rock definitely. solid. So you're sleeping no. on basically rock solid floor in the form of a bed. You're sleeping on, they call them pans. So it's a, it's a, just a sheet of metal Jeez. with a little lip. Like, I don't know what that little lip was. It was like a pan, like a, like a pan you'd put in your, um, in your, uh, oven. Mm -hmm. And it was just a little lip and it was a pan and it, you know, it was clearly just made out of sheet metal. You laid on it, it was hard as fucking rock. You know, you had a a a, a foam like a four inch, three or four inch piece of foam that had been laid on by a thousand guys over, over the last ten years. So there's no foam left. I mean, it's, it's virtually you're basically like you said, you're basically laying almost on the steel. Yeah. And I, I was sleep for so you sleep on one side, and you could do that for about an hour or so until that side started hurting, and then you 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 roll over to the other side. Sleep on that for so it was like every hour or two you're back and forth, back and forth, because you could just never really get comfortable. That sounds absolutely awful. <laughs> what were some of the things that you would hear at night? Because I've heard different stories of like what happens at night in prisons, but I just kind of wanted to hear like your account. Like, are guys actually like, you know, like having sex with each other and sharpening tools and all kind of stuff like that? So when I was in the when I was actually in the U.S. Marshals holdover, I I heard a guy getting raped. Jeez! Everybody heard it, screaming, hollering, the whole thing. Um, 
you know, nobody hit the button, nobody, nothing. So, so obviously the, the COs in there heard it and just didn't do anything. I don't even know where the COs were. Like the COs would leave. So, you know, like you always think that there's a CO there all the time. Sometimes they were, but they also had an office. Like they could go in their office, close the door. You could be, there could be somebody shooting, walking around with a gun. You got bet you couldn't hear it through that door. Uh, you know, and it was so loud to begin with. There's banging. Con- like, that's the thing about prison is one, you know, when you think of prison and you see these movies, it's always some solitary guy in a cell by himself alone. And man, I wish, I wish that's what it was. It, 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 what it really is, is you're never alone. It's scr- it's noise 24 hours a day, screaming 24 hours a day, and you're never alone. Like, I love being alone. Yeah. I have no problem being alone. Um, but anyway, yeah, that so that happened. At, that was at a, at a in the Marshall's holdover. But when you're in prison, like. Well, can we, before we get to that, can we just talk about that part? Like, what was that like hearing that? What was everybody else's reaction? Was What are the other inmates doing? Are well, they just like, what was that I was like? locked up in, in the cell with. I think one or two other guys. I was in what's called uh, at, at Atlanta City Detention Center, mm. but I was in the Marshall's holdover there, and uh, yeah, you could hear it, but it's not like it was right next door. It was on a. I was downstairs. It was upstairs on the second tier, and you could just hear it. And I remember saying, "Bro, can you hear this?" He was like, "Yeah, fuck, man, Jesus," you know. And it was just a, a celly, two cellies, and you know, you realize that. Maybe, you know, you it felt like maybe they were fighting. You, we really kind of found figured out the next day that's what, and, and I had my suspicions, you know, but it was really the next day that you found out that that's what happened. The next morning when you came, because you know, eventually it stops, it doesn't go on forever. We're talking about, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight, but let's face mm-hmm. it, five minutes of fighting is an eternity. Yes, it is very you know? tiring. Yes, right. So, for sure. yep. You know, we're talking about four or five minutes, and maybe every once in a while you hear some more yelling or something five minutes later, ten minutes later, whatever. And then that's it. You know, you go to sleep. The next day, the guy was, I think the guy was gone. Or I think maybe they were both gone the next day. That's it. Well, I mean, what was the story behind that? He just I mean, saw him and said, I'm going to take him. Did they get into a fight? Like, how does that? No, no, this was two cellies. Two cellies, and one of them was gay. Okay. And the, the story I heard was that the one celly who wasn't gay raped the story, like the celly that was gay. Which, oh. of course, if you're a man raping a man, then I'm pretty much said that they're both gay. You're but right. um, whatever. So that, but I was going to say in prison, like you don't really hear about stuff like that because there are gay guys. Like there's so many gay guys. You know, and if you see some guys, there are some guys that are in prison in the medium who, Guys in the medium that, like, they get off on pressuring a guy. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. they like sure they could go to a gay guy and they could give him some money and he'd do what he does. Uh, you know, like they're like prostitutes, right? So yep. he could do that, but he'd rather find somebody he can pressure into it, right? So they have mental some kind of a mental condition about dominate dominating someone. Remember, there was a black guy named Bear. And Bear hung out with a bunch of other guys. You, you've heard of the term booty bandits. Yeah, I have. So 
Bear had tried to talk to me a couple times. Hey, man, what's going on? What's up? Hey, what's up? Like, but I, I knew something was wrong. I could feel something was wrong with the guy. And I didn't really want to talk to anybody, anybody. I, I'd been there a few weeks, maybe a month or two. Um, and I remember one day I was walking, just walking around the second tier. And he sees me. Bears sees me. Bears come, like two or three of his buddies are standing next to his door. And Bear goes, yo, man, let me talk to you for a second. I go, yeah, what's up? I walk over towards the rail and I hold the rail. And I go, what's up? And he goes, yo, man, let me talk to you in my room for a second, man. And I go, ah, I'm good. <laughs> he goes, ah, man, I just want to talk to you in, in, in the room. And I went, eh, I thought like, we can talk out here. I said, nobody can hear. He goes, man, I just want to let you know, like, if you need anything, like, you need, like, I got, I got, you know, I got uh, hair on. I got, uh, I got weed. Like, I got cigarettes, whatever you need. I got, I go, oh, I'm good. I don't, I don't really do any drugs or anything, but I, I, I got you. Man, what, what, you 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 won't you can't come in my room talk to me, and keep in mind the moment I walk in the room, his three buddies are going to walk in behind me and close the door. Yep. Now I'm I'm in the room with four guys. He's well, you think I'm going to jump on you or something? And I go, you know, if I don't go into your room, I don't have to find out. And I said, is there anything else? You know, and he goes, no, I man, ain't like that. I said, no, I get it and I appreciate it, and you you we we had our talk and and I get it, and you know, I'm not trying to be rude or anything. I said, but um. I'm good, bro. I'm good. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, uh, if I need anything, I will let you know. I just turned around and walked off. You know, I think maybe he tried to talk to me one or two other times, but that was it. Like he, he realized like, I'm not, I'm not stupid. I'm not, you know, like, oh, okay, I'll go in your, like, you know, and, and the, the truth is, had I not been in the, had I not already been locked up over a year, I probably would have walked right in his room. Right. Yeah, man, what's up? Wouldn't have had no I'm, idea. I'm, huh? You wouldn't have had no idea. I wouldn't have had, I would probably, yeah, I would have been clueless. I would have been yeah. like, like, you know, because I had this feeling when I was on the street, like nothing bad's going to happen to me. It's that, that air of, uh, of arrogance that, nah, I, mean, I, I pretty much can handle whatever comes my way. Well, you get arrested, you go to prison, you get 26 years, you realize, no, no, bad shit can happen. Keep your head down. Don't make friends. Yeah. Don't trust anybody. Everybody wants something from you. And that you realize that right away in prison. Everybody wants something from you. You know, sometimes luckily it's as simple as friendship. You know, maybe it's just entertainment because they want to talk to somebody that is their mental, you know, equivalent and that they 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 have very few people that they could talk to and have a normal conversation with. Sometimes that's all it is. And if that's it, then that's great. You're lucky. Count your blessings. But most of the time they want something from you. You know, even if it's just knowledge, sometimes it's like they're, hey, bro, you know, but you know, you talk to the guy and he's always cool to you, but he's always trying to pull information out of you. Mm-hmm. He's never stopping by just to say, hey, what's going on? How's your mom? What's happening with it? You know, that's never the case. It's always yeah. about getting something from you. Can you look at this? Can you look at my legal work? Can you read this? What do you think about this? What would you do about this? What would you do if you got out and you had thirty thousand uh, dollars? Can you help me write this? Can you? I, I got a business plan. Can you look at it? You know, it's damn, bro. It's like every time I see you, that you're giving me a fucking assignment. Yeah. You know, we're not friends. You know, I, I'm certainly not in a position to ever ask you for anything. So how does the one way relationship? 
you know, and you realize that right away. Yeah. I, I actually used to say that to people on the phone all the time when I would call people. Um, I would say, I, I, I feel horrible when I call people because I knew it was a one-way relationship. I'm, I'm on the inside. There's nothing I can do for you. And the only time I called you is to ask you for something. Yeah. You know, it costs me money to, to call you. You know, it, 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 you know, it's, it's just a horrible situation. You're in such a bad spot, but you know, the guys I always felt the worst for with the guys that had relationships with their kids or that were trying to maintain some kind of a marriage. Yeah. Bad, bro. Tough to do in, tough to do in prison. Yeah. Horrible, horrible situation. I've seen guys do it amazingly. But for the most part, if you weren't like a multimillionaire, you know, yeah, it was it was almost impossible. There, there were a few guys that, but nobody that had like a ten or fifteen year, ten or fifteen year sentence. The, those relationships are over. Like unless, like I said, unless they, unless the girls, the women were, you know, from Latin America, or. You know, the Philippines, you know, like if there's an American chick, like she's not waiting 10 years, bro. It's not going to happen. She's not waiting yeah. unless you're a multimillionaire and basically you're able to still continue to support her in some way. Then right. she's going to wait. Yeah. You know, which, which is horrible. I'm not even I'm not even suggesting that it's that it's a, um, a flaw on the on the part of women. I think men are I'm sure men are exactly the same way. It's just in America. We're just not. Just not, we're just not, you know, we're not prepared for that. Yeah. Yeah, we're different than other cultures for sure. Yeah. So what's, what else? What's going on? That's really <laughs> all. Yeah, that's really all I got. Um, so wait, you want to know what happened with Frank? When he got out? Yeah, sure. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so yeah. Frank gets out. Mm -hmm. I'll just tell you what I kind of know. Um, and I know bits and pieces. So he kind of got out. He went to work for, I want to say like a law firm, like doing bankruptcy something. And he kind of started consulting. And, and, and by the way, not that this is somebody who that I've, I've gotten bits and pieces and I formulated some of this. So it's not mm -hmm. like anybody told me or Frank told me. It's like other inmate or former inmates have told me that know him or have told me bits and pieces. And uh, one guy had, you know, I knew he was already working for a, a law firm. Another guy told me he was doing some consulting for a couple of different companies that were in financial straits, and he was helping to merge some companies and restructure some companies. So, you know, which to me is like he's trying to build Mirabilis like this. He's, you know, I always compare him to Spectre on uh, from 007. You know, it's this evil organization that's put together to try and conquer the world so he's he's basically trying to put together specter which he calls mirabilis which he was doing anyway so he got out and he was working for this company this law firm which anything he's a part of he very quickly takes over so somehow or another he starts to put together take get a few companies that are having problems and restructure them this is going on for a year or so after about he'd been out about a year and a half and one day the U.S. Marshals show up and they they arrest him and they take him. He gets violated. His probation gets violated. So 
because he was out on he was out on the first chance act, which put an ankle monitor on him and allowed him to finish out his time outside of prison. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, they said he violated his his you know his supervised release, threw him back in the marshal's holdover. Um, it takes about. Now, typically, you're, you have to have a hearing within 30 days, but there was COVID was going on. So it took, let's say, four or five months to get him in front of a judge. When he gets in front of a judge, he says, you know, Your Honor, I haven't really been like. They violated my probation because they said the probation officer said that they one got a They had that he was engaging in criminal activity. And two, he had left the jurisdiction without permission, right? So like all states are broken up into different jurisdictions, like Florida's three different jurisdictions. And they said he left the jurisdiction without permission. So he gets in front of the judge and he says, your honor, I've never left the jurisdiction. I have an ankle monitor on. And if I had left the jurisdiction, then they certainly have data that shows that they can prove that. Secondly, I'd love to be able to confront whoever said I was engaged in criminal behavior because I haven't been. So what proof is there that I've been engaged in criminal behavior? I haven't been indicted. There's no investigation. So I'd like to know what that is. So the judge asked the U.S. attorney, can you provide these documents? And the U.S. attorney says, well, we were, the probation officer told us that he left the jurisdiction. And we... Um, and also the probation officer is the one who told us all this. So they turn to the probation officer and the probation officer says, well, I got a phone call from someone who said he had left the jurisdiction. And I got a phone call that said he was, that another person believed he was currently committing the same fraud that he had committed that got him in prison. So that's, that's criminal behavior. And they were like, that's it? You got two phone calls? And they said, well, we'd like proof. So they said, well, give us some time to get the proof. So he scheduled it for like a 30 more days. 30 days later, they show up. They still have nothing. So the judge says, okay, that's it. You've got 10 days to come up with a proof, some proof or I'm letting them go. And so they couldn't. So they put him back on home confinement. Only where before he was a little bit out there, like he's talking to other inmates. He's like, he's a little bit doing stuff you shouldn't really be doing, but not really, they're not going to throw you back in jail for that. Mm -hmm. It'd have to be super excessive. You'd have to basically get charged with a crime with another inmate or with a former inmate or someone with a criminal record. Um, he, so anyway, so what my understanding now is that he's basically terrified. Like he didn't talk to anybody. He's just goes to work, comes back, like all these crazy kind of getting out there and doing stuff. He's like, stop doing everything. He's just very concerned because he feels like they're targeting him, trying to throw him back in prison, which I think is possible. And yeah, if, you go to his, sure. if you go to his channel and watch some of his recent videos, you really see Frank walking around. He's in a boardroom. He's talking about how he's innocent. He's it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah. You kind of get to see him <laughs> in his glory. Yeah, I'll definitely uh I'll definitely check out his channel because that was one 
very interesting thing about your story was you meeting him and him helping you and stuff like that. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he shaved 12 years off my sentence. Yep. For sure. That's crazy. If it weren't for him, I would, the government was never going to reduce my sentence. Yep. yep. Twice. So, do you know what the likelihood of filing what's called a, a, a you file, if you file a 2255, one in 3,500 actually result in relief for the inmate? Wow. One in 3,500. He filed two and convinced the court to file a, a rule 35 in my case twice. Like it's, it's, you know, I, 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 I don't want to use the word miracle, but it's a miracle. And Frank considers himself. And what does he say? He says, I'm like emperor of the world. Frank. He's like, well, I'm like, that doesn't even, you know, you're going to be emperor of the world. It doesn't even like who says emperor. He's like, well, you know, Think of me as an, what do you say, an, an Old Testament prophet. That's the way I like to see it. I was like, okay. Like God has a divine, he has a divine goal for me. It may not go according to plan. It may not be easy, but ultimately I will prevail. It's like the trials of Job or, or um, Moses or, you know, like things didn't go easy. It wasn't easy, but it ultimately, he had a divine purpose. Which there you I go. That, bro. There you go. <laughs> who, says this? who says that? Yeah. So anyway, listen, I'll talk forever. Yep. And I know you want to go. I can tell you're fighting off some yawning. <laughs> you're good, man. Uh yeah, I do gotta go, but it definitely was good talking with you and hearing your story and stuff. Like I said, I've watched you for years. So this was actually really cool to just kind of talk to you and get your brain and stuff like that. And that's hilarious. Yeah, you gotta try and uh trying to think if you could possibly get me kevin on or coffeezilla or whoever tyler ended up getting you on i think you should try i think that'd be really cool i, I mean i don't even know i like i don't know enough to be i don't know enough to be yeah. dangerous fair enough but listen here's what i know is the meet kevin like i don't get this from graham stefan Mm -hmm. Graham Stephan, I, I think, you know, I think he's just kind of a nice guy going. He he ended up if if there was no YouTube, he would have ended up being, you know, just a, a, a run of the mill realtor. A realtor. Yeah. He'd be you a know. successful realtor. Yeah. But he's entertaining. He's energetic. He's he's non-confrontational. He's easy to watch. Right. He's likable. He's very likable. Um, so I don't see this in him at all. But let me just say, like, you've heard the term a fisherman knows a fisherman. Mm -hmm. um, meet Kevin, con man. Yes. Like, I'm just telling you, he talks for three minutes and I'm like, oh, man, this, this guy's sleazy. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, he's, he's a con man. I mean, this is, this is, you know, uh, so that's just, that's how I feel. That's like my, my take on him. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same. It's the same thing with uh, with Jesus. What's the guy? The um, uh, call, the um, the guy that did the zoo token. Uh, uh, Logan Paul. Logan Paul. I, I can't yeah. remember. Same thing. Yeah. The problem with Logan Paul is he's one of those guys that um, thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. You know, and you know, that's that's. 
it, when you're not the smartest guy in the room and you think that it's just not a good situation. But he yeah. he definitely he thinks he's got everybody fooled, and it's like you know why fool anybody? People people like him. He's got a huge following. Yep. Why try and fool anybody? Why not just be honest about everything that you're doing? Like, especially when he's got he's got a ton of money. Like, I don't get these guys that have a ton of money and just it's just greed. They just want more yeah. and more and more. Pure greed. Like, yeah, it's never enough. All right. I mean, like, it, what is the difference between ten and fifteen million? You're not going to live any better. Yeah. So, all right. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate you, man. Definitely was I'm cool right, coming I'm, on, and yeah. Hey, I appreciate you guys watching. Do me a favor. If you like the video, hit the subscribe button. Hit the bell so you get notified of videos just like this. Also, leave a comment in the comment section. I'll try and respond to as many comments as, pro as possible. Although, to be honest, in the last two weeks, I've really been slipping. Uh, regardless, do that. I appreciate it. And we're going to leave. We are going to leave uh, Jay from Echoes from Above and Below. We're going to leave the link in the description so you can find his channel. Although, to be honest, if you punch it in, it comes up right away. Uh, so I appreciate you guys watching. I really would be shocked if anybody's watching this long. But uh, all right. See you.